Hey, this is Behind the DM Screen. It is May 2018, and we are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. Mike, Sam, say hello. Oh. Hello. There you go, and that's the introduction you get. Uh, now you get to hear from me first. Ha-ha. Is that Rigged. Me, is that me uh, rigging the system in my favor, hey. or is that me knowing for a fact that I went last last time? <laughs> so, uh, here's how my game is going. Let me start my timer. Bam. Uh, here's how my game is going. Uh, we, let's say, I think since the last time we played, according to my notes, we actually had one session. Uh, we were headed towards the middle of the desert in my post-apocalyptic fantasy earth mashup of the Rod of Seven Parts, Out of the Abyss, uh, Princes of the Apocalypse, and some homebrew stuff, right? Just a reminder for the listeners out there. Um... <laughs> And they were headed off to the next piece of the rod, which is in the middle of the desert. And so I stuck it in the middle of the the Rub al-Khali, which is an actual desert on the Arabian Peninsula. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but um, it's an actual desert in the, in the Arabian Peninsula that sounds like a fantasy desert to me. So that's where I stuck it. Uh, and so they were headed off there. Uh, and that's sort of they got into the valley where the where the thing is sort of at the end of the last session. Uh, that I mentioned with you guys. Now, since then, they continued on through the valley. They ran into this rock formation that had a little, like, uh, storm drain-style hole in it that, as it happens, if you go you know, crawl down deep enough, connects to the Underdark, and their contact there from uh, Vizarin, the wizard, the drow wizard and out of the abyss that uh, creates the ritual that tells them how to get rid of the demon lords. Um, so his apprentice was down there like, hey, so... Uh, the master says you've been ignoring him for like months now, and if you don't get back in like to him in like 36 hours, he's just going to find another bunch of dupes to go do his thing, and they'll probably die. So, you know, top clock's ticking, right? <laughs> uh, just because, you know, I'm trying to lay the groundwork for the next leg as I continue through the current leg. So like, okay, well, we can hurry up and do that and whatever, and that helps alleviate five-minute workday issues as well, because they have 36 hours. That's, that's enough time for maybe one long rest, but not any more than that. Uh, this part of the Rod of Many Parts, uh, or no, the Rod of Seven Parts, there it is, uh, storyline has them going to a caravanserai, which I had to uh, look up and, and find out that it's basically just a, a protected tavern in for caravans in the in the desert, right? Uh, so it's a haunted caravanserai, and they, they approach it, and um, that first they're sort of um, harassed by some trickster little smoke methods that come out of the forge, and pretty soon they, they get a little further into the caravanserai that they've heard is haunted, and, and a creature walks through the wall and greets them and bows, and, and they see a, a dagger protruding, protruding from its back and, and what have you, and so they're like, oh, it's the ghost of the host, and he doesn't realize he's dead, and they have this conversation with him and he's talking about this that and whatever uh but in reality as the adventure uh, is intended um the ghost is actually a genie who ethereally moved through the wall and and they actually described that he's like put padding in the back of his shirt and stabbed through the padding to make it look like he's been stabbed in the back uh and he's just a good actor right 
in a B movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it works and it's kind of, you know, it's old school D&D. This is kind of an old school adventure. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of works, right? And so uh, the whole purpose of the, the, quote, host genie, which, by the way, is not actually like the master of the caravansary. It's just one of the servants, um, is to, to basically stall, right? Apply them with food and music that comes as if from nowhere and, and then offer them baths. And there's, you know, uh, veiled women back there in the baths that are assisting them that it turns out later on they realize are actually uh, Medusa, uh, and then while they're in the baths, the, the smoke methods try to sneak in and steal their equipment and throw it down the well. Uh, but that's when, they, that's when it all sort of falls apart, right? Is that they, they catch the methods stealing their equipment. They stop the theft. They quickly re-equip themselves. They run out to confront uh, the host. And that's when the host springs the trap. Because the whole point of the adventure is the, if you go in cordially and role-playing and, and work it all out, and you're not like super paranoid because it's old school D&D. And so... You know, you have to have just the right attitude for whatever reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the the caravanserai host, who is just one of the genies working for the big Efreets that actually run the place, um, has managed to get all of the forces sort of uh, arrayed so that, you know, when the big fight happens, it's okay, this happens, and then the next round, these, these reinforcements show up, and the next round, there's the Medusas, and meanwhile, there's illusory uh, bandit horsemen flying through the sky that look like ghosts because it's supposed to be haunted, but it's not actually, there's actually just genies in the second story shooting arrows down, but you can't tell because of the illusion, and you think it's just the ghost archer shooting at you, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's this big fight, and the players are like, well, how could we have not you know, done that. And it's like, well, I mean, be a lot more paranoid, but you weren't. And, and you had the fun role-playing thing. And, and you know, that's, that's fun. Uh, and, but this fight was probably going to happen anyway, so don't sweat it, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, the genies weren't going to, the Efreets weren't going to let you just sort of walk out, walk through and, and search their stuff to find the, the piece of the rod. Um, so uh, what ends up happening then is we have to stop the session uh, halfway through the the combat, like we're cl- coming up to like ten minutes on, on time, and I'm like, well, like we could keep playing, but as much as you think this fight looks like it's almost over based on the minis on the map, uh, what you don't know is this is not anywhere close to over yet, right? They've already gone through this massive slog of, of cutting down all these different zombies and the or not zombies, uh, genies and the medusas and the the smoke methods and there's an imp mixed in there and all these other things. And I'm pulling stuff from the Kobold Press Book of Genies as well as the Tome of Beasts as well as the Monster Manual. So there's this weird mix of, of things. There's like a there's like a genie with like a, an elephant tusk that's that's a, a winemaker and it sprays uh, wine out of its trunk as as part of its uh, action like it's got we got all kinds of weird things going on right and they, you they, what's that <laughs> you yeah right <laughs> so they think it's all wrapping up and i'm like so if you want to we can just stop now leave everything on the board and next time we play we'll come back you know mid-combat which i hate doing but i also know that it's late and the the two of that are actually running the whole caravanserai haven't even made their appearance yet so I'm like, you think it's almost done and that we could probably finish by 7.15, but it's going to be at least 8, and, and we probably don't want it to go that long, right? So so we go ahead and stop. We're supposed to come back in like three weeks because I've got finals and some other people had some stuff going on, so it's going to be an extra extra week of time in there. And then it turns out that my oldest son uh, has a robotics team competition that weekend. So I'm like, all right, sorry guys, we have to push it another week because I have to go do this and be supportive of my son. Uh, and so we do, and then it turns out 
his team gets second place, and now he's going to oh, the no. state competition, and that's the next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had to push it again. So we're not playing this weekend. I had to push it another time, and so it's going to be like you know, it's going to be like a, a, a five or six week break in between sessions, and and the break is in the middle of a combat, like. That's the yeah. worst. Like, how do I get them back and then remind them? Oh yeah, so remember we were in the middle of a fight. And it was tense, right? It, it's hard to get that tension back. So, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, after this, then they're they're back to the underdark and out of the abyss. So, so anyway, I've only had the one session. I'm going to give you guys a chance to ask uh, questions or, or address anything there, and then if we have a few minutes, I can talk to you about my school group, which I have named the the Raleigh Sly Flourish Gaming Club. Yeah, <laughs> I have. I approve of the name. However, you do owe me uh, a license fee. Yes, well. That's not free. <laughs> not royalties, just a licensing agreement. It's just a licensing agreement. It's okay. an ongoing, right. an ongoing, continual license agreement. It's renegotiated every five days. Every five days. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only about three weeks left in the club, so um, I, I'm, I'm going to be about four weeks behind on my payments. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so those uh, nah, Jeff, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Just say so the checks in the mail. Loan, yeah, payday loan interest rates. There so it's like yeah. sixteen hundred percent. Well, right. Okay, well we've just wasted a minute of my time talking about payday loan interest rates. So. Well, hey, uh, I you know what? I congratulations to your son. Awesome that robotics yeah. team thing. Yeah, you know, no, that was cool. That's a good enough reason to cancel a couple of sessions. You know? Yeah, yeah. It just, I mean. I just I know that like I look at my my schedule for the next year and I'm like you know the writing's probably on the wall for the whole gaming group and there's so many games I want to play and that they want to play um, but I also want to make sure the current campaign like gets its its due diligence right so um, so yeah. I, I recognize that every time that happens right there's a little less time for us to probably be gaming because it's probably going to be about a year or so before we you know go our separate ways assuming hopefully I get a job someday so. <laughs> So anyway, um, if there's no other thoughts about that, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the uh, the at-school gaming group um, for the last five minutes or, here, or so here. I haven't talked much about them. Uh, and like I said, I have, I have unofficially, uh, unlicensed, uh, named them <laughs> the, the, the Raleigh Sly Flourish Gaming Club because uh, the nice folks, and by folks I mean uh, folk, and I'm, by that I mean Mike, <laughs> that runs slyflourish.com uh donated some money from his kickstarter campaign to um support the after school gaming club like he did with with several others as well uh and bought us a bunch of books and starters i got some starter sets and a bunch of a set of dice for every kid and um it was it's uh, they were super appreciative and it just so happened by the way mike um that right after they, I got, I gave them the the set of dice to, so everybody would have a set and it was it was good to go, and they were like, hey, that's awesome, you know, this is fantastic. They were all excited. I got, I found these cool dice that come come with little bags, and the bags have little, you know, embroidered, not embroidered, but um, you know, logos and stuff on them. So there's like a, you know a dragon and a wolf and a octopus looking thing and whatever. Right, it was pretty cool. Right, um, and so it just so happened that the day they got it. We happened to be running an adventure that you wrote as well, oh, so really? it was like a double a double Mike Shea day. I love it. Yeah, so I've been running them through. Uh, I found a couple a year or two ago that it works really well for me to just buy a whole bundle of old Adventures League seasons 
and run them through that. And I can modify and tweak and cut things out and make it short and do what I need to do because they're all pretty self-contained and, and that way they get to see sort of a breadth of things. And so we're running through Ra- the Ravenloft Adventures League adventures oh, right now. Oh, no. The Innocent? And Yeah. So we just ran that oh. adventure that you wrote. <laughs> not not my favorite. <laughs> well, so, so here's the thing. Um, I can bash my own adventure. No, that's fine. Uh, it, it actually worked really well. And, and, and I don't know what, what your hesitancies are with the adventure. Um, I know the things that to me didn't feel like it fit the rest of the larger story. Uh, mm-hmm. in that like the, the whole Yonti ruins and the, the orc encampment and all that just was so much different than everything else um, that had come before. Um, but it worked out fine because I skipped all of that. <laughs> so the way this works is I have like a one and a half hour long session every other week with these kids. And there's a lot of them in each group. There's like uh, six to ten, depending on the week, in each group. And they're middle schoolers. So it's hard to like be productive and move quickly through things anyway. Um, so I usually end up looking through each adventure and cutting it down to the hook, some, some role-playing, uh, some exploration, and one big encounter, and then done. That's the whole adventure. So So – the the trek that, to find the encampment, the orcs weren't there. The the whole Yonti storyline was kind of only vaguely alluded to. Um, you know, it was just oh, you found this well, it's full of bones. Climb down. Oh, you can you can talk to the Nagas if you want to, and and then on to the final encounter, and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And it works pretty. And it's that system has worked pretty well through me for me through the whole thing. That said. I also know that I'm running out of time, uh, and I think I have basically one more session with each group, and then we'll probably do sort of an end-of-year you know, finale party thing, whatever, get everybody together. Uh, and if you have suggestions on what movies we should watch, I'm kind of between the D&D movie and The Princess Bride, and I'm kind of letting the kids vote, but... Um, you know, I know the D and D movie was bad, but was it bad enough? Well, like, is it bad that it becomes entertaining for kids who don't know that it's bad? I don't know. Um, so, so basically, now you know your adventure is like the halfway-ish point of the 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 uh, season, mm-hmm. and my strategy for the next session is skip to the end. Like, I'm going to go straight to the last chapter. Uh, I looked through the last chapter, and it's like, oh well, there's like, um, you know, these things that you've collected along the way become useful. Oh well, they've run into some of those things. They've heard enough hints about who the the, the bad guy is. Um, you know, they they at this point they've heard about the obsessions thanks to your adventure, actually, uh, and so they ha- they kind of have all of the groundwork they need for the final chapter to make sense. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to skip straight to the end at this point and skip the other half of the season because it seems like it's just more fleshing out of the things they already know at that point. Um, and so then we'll skip to the end and that'll ha- that'll be how we wrap up the the year. Um, so hopefully those, those those later half ones aren't like super awesome because I'm going to miss them. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't play through many of the Ravenloft oh, okay. ones. So I, I actually have no idea. I know Tails did one about Amber Temple that I've always wanted to see. Yep. Um, yeah, I saw that one in there, but that's one we'll have to skip. Yeah, I love I love the Amber Temple when I ran it in the book, so I was curious what what he what he did. Amber Temple's another thing though in the Ravenloft adventure uh, in that in that little setting that kind of goes with the adventure that that came out that that like is really intriguing, but isn't exactly a a perfect fit for the 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 gothic horror mood of Ravenloft, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I I I like the idea that's even older than Strahd. 
and that it's sort of his origin and that there's a creature. I mean, I, I you know, I talked all about this on this show yeah. about the insanity, the, the crazy, insane stuff I did in the Amber Temple and how it completely changed our campaign around. And right. so I'm very fond of that. And I didn't mind like, you know, I don't know. It, yeah, it, it, the idea that that like all the gothic stuff is sort of Strahd level things. And then there's this other thing that's even older that's in the wilds that's even very different really dark and sinister so i don't know i really liked it yeah no the concept of it uh, i think appeals a lot but it is a different it is a different tone I, i'm guessing is that it suddenly becomes sort of an epic evil as a you know fantasy evil instead of yeah right instead right. of the gothic horror that you're used to it, through the rest of the story i mean in, in my game strad showed up to the characters so was like you did what you went there like right. i thought we were just screwing around and you released that right it's like it's like the that moment in a in a season of Buffy where you realize that there's a greater yeah. evil beyond what you thought there was. Yeah, you know? and the villain suddenly becomes your hero. Yeah. Well, and even then, like it, it, you know, if I'm thinking about it as in a in a Joss Whedon style storyline, right, is is that this is this is Joss Whedon laying the groundwork for the greater evil that's going to be the big bad for the next season. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Strahd yeah. still gets to be the big bad, but. So anyway, that's what I've been playing. I've been I, now I've been doing that school group uh, for months now, and I think uh, this is the first time I've really talked about them. Um, that's great. But yeah, you know, it's going it's going well, and I think they're having fun, and and they're excited to get dice. And uh, what they don't know is that um, a lot of the materials that that I got from from the money you donated uh, is going to be given to them, so they'll get to take some of it home. Um, you know, the starter sets especially. Find some people who don't have the books and say, "Hey, here's some starter sets to to go home and try out." And so you, hopefully you'll keep playing even when the the gaming club is over and all that. So mm -hmm. it should be good. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's fun to do. And somebody else I want to thank, haha, transitions, <laughs> is our sponsor, uh, EasyRollerDice.com. Mike Shea's favorite source for dice, dice accessories and beard oil, because he uses a lot of beard oil. I don't, yeah, I don't have a beard. I can't speak to <laughs> their beard oil. I can't speak to it either. I haven't tried their beard oil, beard oil but I do have a, a bit of a beard in the last few years, so I'm tempted to try it out. But So, okay. so Mike, tell us why EasyRollerDice.com is such a fantastic place to buy dice. Oh man, their dice their dice are quality. Uh, I am swimming in easy roller dice here. Uh, I have I love and and I have friends at at b both my games who have the um, the dice tray with the cover, the octagonal dice tray yep. with an inner an inner ring to be able to store a, a pretty decent collection of dice and then roll in the center. And people love that. They throw all their minis and stuff in the center. They put their you know pencils and pens and stuff. In the center, they put their dice around the edge. They pack, and they've they've got a, a kit ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's a fantastic thing. Their their metal dice are really great. I have a whole bunch of sets of their metal dice. Um, I actually my home my home dice are now almost all metal. Actually, when I go to Origins, I'm going to go hit their booth up and pick up some more D6s. I could use I could use about five more metal six sided dice, and then I've pretty much got a full giant metal collection. Uh, so do you um, do you store your metal dice in the case? I do. That's my, my so I, I don't carry the case around with me. I keep my case at home. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I have one of their smaller skull cases and mm -hmm. I have a set of metal dice that I put in there. I kind of customize that set a little bit so I can have like two twenties. I don't take, do I take percentile dice? I guess I do have percentile dice in there, but I took something else so that I can fit an extra D 20 in there so that I have, uh, I can roll with advantage easily. Yeah. I was just and, curious what you're going to do when you got those extra D sixes, how are you going to fit them in the case? They're, they're, so those extra sixes will go into my big octagonal case there you go. I, right now. The only dice I have in there that aren't metal are about five six-sided dice that I need for fireball. Awesome. 
Um, yeah, great. Just outstanding dice. Uh, we got a bunch of sets of their regular plastic dice, and those are those are great. Uh, I think I mentioned before that I did the saltwater test with them, and they were balanced better than other dice that I had found. Right so on. if you care about balance. Well, and, uh, they, and they, 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 they have they have a sort of a sheen to them that I that I think even like the, your common sort of um, dice, your chess X or your your crystal cast and that kind of stuff don't have like they they have a look to them. Like I can look at all my dice and pick out which ones are the easy roller dice from from a look, you know. Right. Right. Yeah, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Do they have some? Is there some kind of coating on them? I don't know, but it, it or it's just the the quality of the plastic that they that they've made them out of or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I can they've got a bit of a shine to them and and they look they just sort of pop, yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, I think you just sold me because now I'm really curious about that. Well, there you go. Some of their dice. I have yeah. to go order some right now. Yeah. Um, they uh, they just ran a Kickstarter recently for a standing leather bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that is in there. Um, they haven't yet put it up for sale, but the Kickstarter is already over. But keep an eye out, and I'm sure you'll see these yeah. kind of leather the, dice the bags. Tra- the trays are up there now. Yeah, you can get the, oh, can you get the octagonal trays? You can, yep. Yeah, so those are those are really great. Uh, oh yeah, there they are, and they're really nice. Um, good gifts for people too. Wait, which one? Do, which ones do you have? Uh, I so my my wife has the. Which one is it? I don't know if I see it here. Um, she has a wolf, I think, a silver wolf. Silver wolf, that's on there. On, uh, sort of at the top. Okay. Well, gotcha. it's, at least it's in, it's in the header. I don't know if it's in, if if they have extras to sell right now, but oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. Oh yeah, there it is. So yeah, she has the silver wolf, and I have the red um, the Ouroboros. Ouroboros. Mm-hmm. And I've yeah. got the I've got the yellow, the gold uh, spellbook. Yeah, that one's cool. Yeah, great. I was mostly really... I was, the the thing that really sold me on the gold spellbook was the the felt on the interior, like the design on the outside. I, I came around yeah. to, but the felt interior, I really love that gold color on the interior. Yeah, the Celtic knot with the dragon is also great. I think that yeah. whole, the whole black 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 on black is really cool. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and they're sold out of those. So, yeah, great, <laughs> great company. I met them. I, I, I went and met them at Origins last year, and just great bunch of guys. And they really they dig this hobby, and yeah, and 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 they sponsor this. So, are a sponsor of uh, Sly Flourish. There you go. So, easyrollerdice.com. You should definitely go and check them out. Oh my! I have to tell you about the great dice I just got. Plated gunmetal dice that will never chip and feel awesome in my hand and come in a sweet case and they're solid and they're heavy and they're awesome and they roll crits and max damage whenever I really need it. Results may not be the same for all gamers. And I store them in this incredible wyvern pattern reversible microfiber dice bag that holds about 5,000 sets of dice while making every single person at the table totally jealous. Number of dice held might be slightly lower for most users, but everyone will be jealous. And the dice tray. Let me tell you about the incredible dice tray. It has a leather cover and a lid, and it's lined in felt, and has this astounding, like, foil design of a tentacled creature that's going to reach right out and, and, and devour everybody. And it has the staging area on the inside so all of the other dice can watch and see what happens when, when the dice that I'm rolling mess up. And then when I roll on this thing, the GM usually just completely gives up. Your GM... Well, no. This one holds up. Where did you get all this stuff? EasyRollerDice.com has all of this and more. Check them out today. And when you buy something, let them know that the Tome Show sent you. We are back and Mike. I'm putting 15 minutes on the clock because it is your turn. And we know that you like to go for 25 minutes if we let you. 
Uh-oh. I'll go for as long <laughs> as you give me, man. All right. 15 so minutes, I've go. Got, man, I've got two games and two topics to talk about in 15 minutes. So let me give you like a table of contents. I can talk about my Sunday game in which the group killed a uh, the vampire pirate, uh, one of the three vampire pirates that was uh, invading uh, Cholt uh, and stole their ship, routed the other two pirates, and now owns a new port of their own with 50 people that they hired and crew members of their ship, and they're sailing back to Port Nyanzaru. That's a big thing going on there. Uh, my other group, uh, my Wednesday group is is behind group, and they got, if, you know, not really behind in sort of sandbox, but... Because um, it sounds like your other group is going back to the beginning right now. Uh, so, well, the other <laughs> group has left Port Nyanzaru. They're, they're out of Port Nyanzaru. They just, oh, they just finished going to um, Camp Righteous, or Camp, Camp Vengeance. And they dealt with the commander of Camp Vengeance in a particularly particular interesting way, and then had to deal with a new breed of cannibals who eat zombies, which I thought was just awesome. I don't know if you guys remember that. It's in the book. It's mm-hmm. one of the random encounters. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so the interesting bits there, and uh, and I found the new bane of the Leomin's tiny hut, where you know it's sort of like the best RV, you know, for traveling in Chult ever. Um, but they started to use it in, in it as a pillbox, so they would hide it in there and then shoot arrows out of it to hit people that were trying to attack them. And like, <laughs> I don't think it works like that. So that was some fun. Uh, the interesting bit there is that they had two encounters. Both of them were relatively low challenge rating encounters, and yet they were still interesting and exciting. And not because they were a threat, really. Yeah, they were a threat in the sense that they were sort of like needling them down. But it was also interesting to see, like trying to figure out who these people were and what they did more so than just how do we beat their asses you know so i think that 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 sort of discovery is uh something i hadn't thought about with combat i'm always thinking about challenge and victory conditions in combat and instead combat is a way to learn new things about what's going on in the world and going on with your enemies and going on in the story and going Mm -hmm. on in history and we can use the battle as a way to sort of you know uh, 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 expose these things, and that was sort of a new idea for me. You know, I mean, I'm, it's maybe not a new idea for everybody. Well, maybe I'm and slow. it's not that new of an idea for you either, because I remember you talking about it several years ago. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I don't, but I've always thought of battles as a battle, right? And it's like maybe they'll learn stuff, but that wasn't the goal of the fight. You know, for me, that wasn't the focus. And the idea that like my interest is the DM wasn't in that these cannibal zombies are going to beat the crap out of the party or you know that the you know it was more like i just want the party to experience these people and the fact that they took care of six of the nine of them with a single hypnotic pattern doesn't bother me at all because they still learned a lot about these Mm. you know they weren't boring and they were the the party was interested in the fact that like one of them wore a uh an eviscerated hand around its neck and the hand was still moving you know cool weird odd stuff like that Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that game, and then uh, the two topics, and we can. So I'm, we'll, we'll dive dive back dive back into one of these, and you guys can kind of pick what you want to talk about. Um, but when we build encounters, do we build them ahead of time, knowing that they're going to be role play, exploration, or combat, or do we let that come out while the encounter is going on? And um, I already forgot what it was, but you had an encounter you just talked about. And I was curious if ahead of time, did you know that that battle was 
you know, what did you know that the encounter was going to be a battle or did you think well this could turn into role playing or this could turn into you know this could end up mm-hmm. like they could find ways around it or they could negotiate through it or they could fight it and i didn't know which one it was ahead of time the 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 genie thing that sort of built I, in i'm not it. sure it was the genie uh-huh. i thought yeah yeah i thought for you know i thought you mentioned another one where you you it didn't seem that you were clear about what that battle was ahead of time but this is something I'm thinking about a lot more as well mm-hmm. that I don't really even think of scenes anymore. I build situations, and I don't know how the party's going to navigate the situations. Right. And the, and the situation could be, and, and here was an example from my Wednesday game where they were in Camp with uh, camp Vengeance. They knew that Niles Bonebreaker, or whatever the guy's name is, is a jackass, and that the guy's getting his whole camp killed, right, slowly over time. And they're all of a sudden outside, Terra Folk are attacking the leaders um, of, of Camp Vengeance on the towers. They're like sweeping by and grabbing a villager and sweeping off with them and eating him in the middle of this big storm. And obviously that seems like a good opportunity for a fight, but what was interesting is while that was going on, our the rogue assassin in our group went and poisoned Miles's um decanter, crystalline decanter of <laughs> fancy fancy alcohol, right? So there was like this whole other part of the story that that he used uh, this is a Tabaxi rogue assassin known as Stone in the Stone in the River. And Stone in the River use the opportunity not like i'll go out there and i'll fight those guys eventually but my real purpose here is to stop this niles guy because he's getting everyone killed and and he's a problem for us because he's trying to draft us to do a bunch of stuff we're not going to do so getting rid of him means this whole place will be easier you know that was sort of a neat part of that situation like they are dealing with the terror folk but the terror folk were particularly hard right the group's level five there's five of them the terror folk are cr1s so they're they're pretty easy marks uh, the fact that they were attacking at night and that they, the party didn't really know how many there were and they're sweeping by, you know, that was kind of the party didn't the, the, the players didn't know what to make it didn't know how hard these guys were and they would get hit and it would hurt. So, you know, so that was. Yeah, that was cool. I, I've used the Terra Folk to good uh, to good use. Just yeah. the fact that they fly and they can do these acrobatic moves yeah, right. uh, is really terrifying because it means yeah. that. A sing- an individual PC can't isolate and be safe, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, there was like a horror movie with like flying alien creatures. Mm-hmm. I think it was, was it, uh, yeah, it was uh, Pitch Black, right? If you, oh, did you guys yeah. ever see the movie Pitch Black? Uh-huh, the original? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that, that is one where, you know, you've got these creatures you never really get a good eye on, and they fly, and they sort of zip around and, you know, pierce through people, and then the people go flying off. And that oh. was, that's how I played these, that like, you know, my little fun cinematic was they're trying to get a rain catcher. They're all out of water. These soldiers have don't have a good water supply, and they don't know how to use rain catchers. So they're trying to set one up in the middle of the storm, but the storm is blowing it around and eventually blows it away, and it goes flying through the air. And then they see another rain catcher go flying through the air. Only this one grabs a person and flies off. And they're like, "Oh my god, it's a rain catcher! That was a terror folk!" You know. So this sort of this this foreshadowing of what these crazy ass creatures are, mm-hmm. even though the challenge rating is really low. Um, so that was that that whole sort of you know not thinking about a balanced encounter and not thinking about how you know combat on a grid is something that you know you I've go been, you I've go been, through some interesting pendulum swings because you spent know, like the last year just focused on how do you build a balanced encounter and now all of a sudden you're like no forget it throw it out the window right. no I, and 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 right the conclusion I've come to after a great amount of time and energy and many articles including an article on D and D Beyond about this. Um, is there is no such, and you don't really want there to be such a thing. Mm. And the best you can do is have a thumb, uh, like a, 
a rule of thumb that tells you if an encounter is likely to be deadly or not. Yeah, you want to, when you look at it and you say, okay, here's a situation, two giant crocodiles are attacking the party. It's worth looking at like, are these guys going to be too hard for the party? And if so, I might want to tell the characters that that's the case. Right. You know, yeah, and I that, screw that up almost as often as I get it right. I mean, so so I think I've talked about my my method a little bit, right? And so I build my encounters by just sort of before my session, picking out a handful of you know usually three interesting locations, and then for each interesting location, pulling you know the names of uh, and usually page number of you know five to ten different creatures that you might find there, and then I usually don't even set the encounter until I'm there. But as a rule, when I'm looking for things that might be there, I, I kind of like a good sort of limit is, you know, f CR about five over the party is the highest I'll go unless it's going to be like, you know, you knew when you went into this that you were going to go up against Orcus, yeah. right? You know, right. <laughs> you know? so this right. was the choice you made and you had other options. Uh, yeah. So, so that's, that, I mean, other than that, like how many I throw at them, exactly which ones I pick, it's usually just whatever... I'm inspired by the story to do at that moment. Yeah, exactly. um, and that, that to me is the, the number one rule is so choose monsters based on the story. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about how many of these terror folk are attacking the group, well, it's not 50, you know, it's probably a small group and it's probably around four to six. Right. Right. And I had it that four act and, you know, six of them were there, but two of them flew away when they saw they're getting killed. <laughs> so... Right, and, and I might even start it at four, and then if it turns out that, you know, they're blowing through them quickly and, and it's not as much fun, then the other two might show up or whatever, you know? Right, right. Now, when my group fought the vampire pirates, um, that one, they're level six, I mm -hmm. think. And in one battle, they fought a vampire assassin and a vampire pirate captain. And the assassin was a reskinned regular assassin, you know, with the vampire powers. Mm -hmm. And the uh, pirate was a full-on straight vampire swordsman kind of guy. And the challenge rating on those guys are way high, right? Like, I think the vampire is 12 or something, mm. right? And, and you know, my thought was, well, I, they knew there were vampires. <laughs> like I told, you know, they learned that weeks earlier. So if they wanted to try to figure out how to deal with the vampire mm -hmm. without facing it, that was the time. And now they're in a fight with a vampire. They got to figure out what to do. And that, you know, they almost got killed. Like I, I pulled my punches a little bit. Um, and they almost got killed. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was one where, and I made it clear to them, like as soon as they saw the vampire captain, they're like, man, the assassin isn't nearly as powerful as his captain is. Right. You know, and they're like, uh oh, you know, but the regeneration, and now it's nice because the vampire, I think, is actually underpowered as a CR 12. And it was nice to see a vampire that's actually like a, an ass kicking vampire and not like, you know, getting pinned and killed in three seconds. Mm hmm. Like in, in Curse of Strahd. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and your larger question about like do do I know if it's if it's a combat encounter, role playing encounter or whatever, um, I think we're kind of getting at, at this anyway, but like I try to I try to either have enough complexity in the creatures that they're running into. Like I have in my head that I know why they're there and I might have some ideas about you know other things going on with them. That if the players want to turn it into a role playing encounter, then then that's something I can flip over to, right? Right. Uh, if right. they if they can pull it off, right? So like they've got their genies that, that you know, and the whole stratagem of the genies is they are trying to capture them and or kill them. They're not going to be killed for because they're extra planar. They're just going to be sent back to their plane and and their master back on in the city of Brass will just send new genies. So it's not a, a huge loss for them to fight to right. the death, right? 
Um, and so they're like, you know, this is our thing. This is what we're supposed to do. If I don't fight to the death to capture these new slaves, then then I'm going to be in bigger trouble back back home, right? Um, right? But had they have gone into it in stealth mode, which wasn't going to happen with some of our armored people, right? Uh, or if they had gone into it in, in role-playing diplomacy mode and had picked up on what was going on, um, you know, that I would have allowed that to happen. Right. That didn't yeah. happen. And, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you. you know, it was definitely slanted towards like it was probably going to be a fight because that's what the NPCs were trying to gear towards. Right. Yeah. Um, right. That's and, what they and, wanted. You know, often our players want that, too. But I, I care. Boy, I care a lot less when I'm running theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned that before that, like when I'm just saying there's terror folk around and I didn't went and dig out terror folk guys, if all four get hit with a fireball and kill, I don't care. Right. <laughs> like. I'm ready to move on to the next scene, and it's not like I don't know what it is about like sort of getting away from the grid and getting away from minis, but mm-hmm. well, I, you know, I, I'm much more likely to let the story go whatever direction it's going to go when it's just the same as anything else. Yeah, for me, a lot of it's the the what is it the sunk cost fallacy, right? I've already de- dedicated so much time to the maps and pulling out the miniatures yeah, and whatever. Right. I want to see it play out, right? That's that's yeah. I assume it's I assume it's the same thing, but I also assume there's like a a trigger in my head that when I'm on a board, it suddenly becomes a board game, me versus them. Right. Um, so I don't the one do thing that. that I, yeah, one, one thing I do want to talk about, because it was such a fun shift in the game, is as soon as they killed those vampires, they had a treasure hoard with like 50,000 gold pieces. Mm. In, you know, It was this huge, because all the treasure on three ships. And it's like, you know, that had been pirating for months. So it's one of those where like the characters are only five level sixes. Do I have to come up with some convoluted way where they only get, you know, 6,600 gold? Even though these pirate ships have been raiding ship after ship after ship, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, no, they get it, you know? <laughs> like, they get giant piles of money. And then they also get 50 people that they rescued, you know, a bunch of people that were brought on a ship and a bunch of people that were already enslaved at the, at the, uh, at Jahaka, Jahaka Bay. So they hired him, right? And now they, are, they have like one group that's rebuilding Jahaka Bay into their base. And they're going to go, um, uh, liberate a um, albino dwarf mine so now they'll have nearby miners and they have an, if they, they wrote out an exclusive contract with the miners saying if we clear out your thing you have to ship your goods through our port <laughs> mm. I was like sure so now there's you know it's like suddenly they're playing a totally different game right you yeah. know they, they, they have a boat they, they took the sailing ship up to uh, and they almost got killed by hags or by a sea hag and a bunch of other stuff that was fun um they made it to Port Nianzaru, and now they're going to have a trial where uh, Liana Porter, who is the Flaming Fist mercenary who runs Fort Beloarian, um, they have proof she was in league with the vampire pirates to raid ships. And whether or not she was giving her information back to the rest of the Flaming Fist merchant, uh, uh, you know, management, which is older, older Raven Guard. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't acknowledge that um, <laughs> ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so so the cool bit is in in the next session, older Raven Guard, head of the Flaming Fist, is going to show up at Port Nianzaru with his mage, who's going to teleport him there, and mm-hmm. say, we got to put her on trial, and she is guilty, and we're going to kill her because it's the only way we can keep the Flaming Fist reputation back up again. Mm-hmm. You know, and the party's going to have to be involved in lying. You know. Like, like, make they they have to kind of come up with evidence to say that yes, we know it was absolutely just her and not the rest of the Flaming Fist when they don't really have that evidence, you know, mm-hmm. or they have to go against older Raven Garden. So, you know, that's fun. I also have to be like, oh yeah, and by the way, there's that death curse thing you got to take care of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't know? forget that there's an actual storyline here in Jolt. 
Yeah, yeah right. But it, but it is like that's a, a bit of a risk. But on the other side, it's like I really love the idea that they have their own ship and they have their own people. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Can I tell one last story? It's really good. I suppose. They they actually had a player die. They had a character Gabriel, who is the most righteous of all the characters. He is a Asimar, um, uh warlock, celestial warlock, and he's the one that's been like most connected spiritually. What's spiritually to what's been going on in Chul? Great character. The player is fantastic, and he got um, lightning bolted. No, he got what? What happened? Oh yeah, so a sea hag who is a sister of. Um, What's her name? Uh, uh, Nanny Poo Poo. Okay. They killed Nanny Poo Poo. So Nanny Poo Poo has two sisters. I don't know who the third one is. But one of them was a sea hag that chased the party down and attacked them with sharks and Sahuagin and then her. And she uh, did her death gaze attack on um, on uh, uh, Gabriel, who is this you know the, the the this character. And he fall. He's flying and he falls and lands on the ship and immediately makes a death save. And then at her turn, she bites him and crits because it's an auto crit and mm-hmm. kills him. He's just dead, right? And the whole party's like, oh my God, you know? And I, I and so every time it was his turn, I was describing how the soulmonger is dra- pulling his soul into it. And he's seeing what's going on and he's seeing the energy of this thing and he's seeing, you know, feeling it. Every round he'd get like a new piece of information about what's happening to his twisted soul. And cool. uh, yeah, so then they said, well, they kill the hag and they find these three hearts, these three shriveled hearts that she's been carrying around in a little le- leather bag and they have souls in them. Because she's one of the few creatures that can still hold, hang on to his soul and not give it to the soulmonger, just like her sister. And they said, well, we'll ritual, we'll, we'll bring back Gabriel. So they're doing this crazy, like, <laughs> ritual where they're, like, draining blood from their own arms. I said, like, the DC for this is 20, but every hit die you expend will lower the DC by one. <laughs> so they're, like, cutting themselves in this, like, ritualistic circle. And I'm like, now you get to roll. But if you roll and it goes bad, it's going to go really, really bad. <laughs> and the guy's, like, looking at me. He's like, I'm rolling. <laughs> you know? And in my mind, I'm like, if this doesn't work, a uh, circle of death is going to envelop the ship and it'll kill every crew member on it. You know? And mm-hmm. he rolled and got it. And so it restored Gabriel, but with the soul of another person who's been dead for 100 years. <laughs> so now the character has a different name. And he has a different personality, but he has all of Gabriel's memories, and he's still in Gabriel's body with Gabriel's powers. Oh, wow. So it's this crazy twisting. You know, I was like, this is my chicken shit way of, like, I can never really kill a character. Right. You know. <laughs> but, but I thought, it was so great. And now they're all like, man, I don't know if we should have done that ritual. Like, that was really dark, you know. <laughs> that was bad. Like, we nearly killed everyone on the ship. So, anyway, I'm sorry. Awesome. And you know what's not bad? Well, it's not bad. People who want to support The Tome Show by shopping over at Amazon or DMs Guild through our affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. Or... Yeah, uh, than a ritual, like a satanic ritual. Right, that, that is way better than that. Uh, and, and even better is those people who support the show directly through patreon.com slash thetomeshow uh, and, and you know give us as little as a, as a dollar a month and some people are generous enough to give even more uh, to help keep the show going. The Patreon helps me pay the bills and, and, and upgrade things and do, do lots of stuff. The DMs Guild affiliate helps me get review products for us to discuss and the Amazon stuff I, I share out to the mini contributors from from that are producing shows here on the Tome Show. So uh, if you want to support us, those are the ways to do it. Thank you. And next, hey Sam. You know, Jeff, I have to say that uh, your your experience podcasting has has grown because <laughs> you are getting so much better with your transitions. It, it only took me ten <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. 
<laughs> you, you know what the key is, is not pointing it out. But, you know, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a compliment. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Sam, you're also yes, playing some uh, Tomb of Annihilation. Tell us about your game. I am. Well, uh, boy, so I, I've only one session since the last time that we spoke um and uh because we're actually recording this episode on time um but uh (laughs) uh i think the last time that i talked about my game i had said that players the pcs got back to kirsa ball and the the leader there was doing her ritual to give them wings so they could fly to Omu. She showed them a map. She showed them exactly where they're going. They had limited time uh, to get there, uh, and they took off, and then that's where we ended that session. So here's my problem. I've got three sessions. I had to do one session in Omu, and leave, that left that leaves two sessions for the whole big, you know, dungeon at the end the nine level dungeon at the end which you know is not gonna be (laughs) that's only four and a half levels per session what do you what's your problem yeah well the problem is they're they're pretty slow dungeon crawlers if they were fast dungeon crawlers they would not go through those nine levels (laughs) that quickly they would just they would just die (laughs) so uh so this is that's my conundrum. So what I did last session was they were flying toward Omu, and they knew that their time was about to run out, that they were going to lose their wings. So they sort of started flying lower and lower, and I I I gave them the map of Omu, unlabeled, because um, I have that. I think I mentioned last time I have the vinyl Gale Force Nine mm. set. It's just, it's it's about it's all, it's slightly larger than eight and a half by eleven for the Omu map. It's really nice, so I just gave it to them and I said, you know, the 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 um, the chief at Kirsabal gave this to you, and so they have it. But when they were flying up, I I told them about the gargoyles because there are gargoyles sitting about every hundred meters or so, every hundred yards or so, on uh, along the edge of the the cliffs or, that surround Omu. Um, and they will attack anybody that tries to enter uh, just the airspace or tries to enter Omu in the wrong place, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I, so I just I described them, and they sort of investigated, and they figured out, okay, they are gargoyles. They're not just statues. Uh, so they got really kind of freaked out. So what I was going to say was, because uh, you know, Mike said earlier about um, vampires being kind of weak for CR12 or, or whatnot. And uh, one of the things that I th- I often think about with vampires is it's always the environment and how they're used that makes them so dangerous. Yeah. It's it's not really so much they're just pure power because they can, you know, any almost any individual creature can be overpowered by four or five PCs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's how it's the environment they're in and how they can control different a- aspects of it and how what the perception is of their power level and all these sorts of things. And I described these gargoyles so much the players were freaked out. They're like, OK, well, we can't fly anywhere near <laughs> this because we don't want these hundred gargoyles to come and attack us. And we know for a fact that they're dangerous. Uh, so they they. They have a folding boat, and so they took the folding boat and they went down the wall to get into Omu. And they visited a couple of the shrines. Uh, oh God, which ones did they? They they visited Papazadel's shrine, and they visited uh, which one? Uh, Kubazan. So uh, Papazadel's shrine has a, a nice puzzle in it. And the reason I say it's a nice puzzle is 
because it's all-encompassing. You know, this is the way to make a puzzle. They didn't really need to know anything else other than what they found out inside the shrine to mm-hmm. be able to solve the riddle in the shrine. And that's the way to do it when you have to shortcut things. Now, if I was playing the long game, they could have gotten some clues for some of these other things before, but because this is such a truncated campaign, the way to do a puzzle is just, here's everything you need to know. It's it's in here somewhere. You have to look at the right stuff. You have to move the right levers. You have to do whatever it is uh, you know, and to, to find all the clues to be able to solve the puzzle. And so... Uh, Papazato Shrine has a nice little puzzle like that, and Kubazan Shrine has um, it has a frog hemoth in it. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, spoilers. And it has it has that interesting uh, aspect where there's a big pit with some spikes and everything, and they have to sort of go around the edges, and the the pathway goes away as they step on it. So that's kind of a puzzle, but it's more of a a full challenge puzzle. So it was I, I picked those two because those are two shrines where they there could be different kinds of interactions leading them to get the cubes that they need. Mm. Uh, but then I knew we were running out of time. So they did a little bit of a ring in Omu. And then I had them um, come upon some grungs. And one of the one of the PCs is actually from Cholt, the northern part of the jungle. And so he did it. He did it check to figure out what he could learn about grungs and he rolled really high so i told him that he's interacted with grungs and he knows all these things about grungs well all the grungs uh anywhere where the the party went where they saw snakes like little baby snakes and regular adult snakes but but not i don't mean i don't mean you on tea not snake people just snakes anywhere where they saw snakes they would always see grungs leaving the area everywhere they went when they were exploring mm-hmm. and uh so they they sort of had these these visual clues that something was wrong there, there's something going on here uh, and um, I thought maybe they were going to interact with the grungs and talk to the grungs and, and find out you know, what the strife is between the grungs and the, and the Yuan-Ti but they it didn't actually do that uh, instead they were just exploring some different things and ultimately it started uh, getting to the point in time where I said okay well we've got to get something going Otherwise, we're not going to finish Omu in one session, which would only leave one session for the for the big dungeon. So that can't happen. So uh, what I did was I had them come upon a scene where there were uh, two Yuan-Ti Malisons and a Yuan-Ti Abomination battling with this giant horde of Grungs. And so they sort of uh, walked into this battle, or they, they stumbled upon the battle. And off to the side, they saw another Abomination doing something weird. Uh, and it turns out that abomination was trying to divine some information using a bunch of the cubes that that were very similar in construction to the cubes that, that the players had just gotten from these two shrines. And they knew by then that they needed to start gathering these cubes. And uh, so they were trying to figure out what to do, and Ross Nassi comes along. And so now they're like, oh, crap, we can't wade into this battle because it's literally a giant battlefield with a bunch of grungs and several, you know, Yuan-Ti big bads. And then Ross Nassi shows up. Oh, what are we going to do? So they they actually used their brains to figure out a way to to, uh, entrap the abomination that was trying to figure out something with the cubes trying to put the cubes into some particular pattern and try to invoke some sort of ritualistic power from them or something at least that's what the impression they got um based on you know the different things i described so they one of the characters is a druid and he he 
cast uh, I can't remember what spell, but uh, I can't remember the actual name of the spell. But basically, it it caused all of these vines to come up out of the ground and surround the abomination that was messing with the cubes. But right before he cast that, two of the PCs ran in to engage with just that abomination, and then he cast the spell so that the big walls would come up so they could uh, basically take care of the abomination and try to gather those cubes or, you know, distract the abomination, try to gather those cubes. Anyway, they did that so that they could then uh, try to just distract Ross Nassi and and everybody else that was in the battle with the Grungs, and they could get away. And ultimately, they didn't they almost didn't accept the druid can also wild shape and he wild shaped into a large flying creature. Uh, and then he carried them when, once they had all the cubes, he carried them away. But the problem with carrying them away by flight is then, uh, the gargoyle. The gargoyles, so yeah. You yeah. So, uh, it was a pretty interesting, they were trying to <laughs> fly clandestinely, which doesn't really work. Uh, but they realized their mistake right away, and they and they basically avoided the gargoyles uh, pretty succinctly. But then they went and they found the entrance, basically, to the tomb. And, of course, there's a bunch of gargoyles lined up uh, on the cliff above the entrance to the tomb is, watching, <laughs> watching them, right? Just sitting there, staring them down. And so they're like, now they're trying to figure out, oh, crap, do we rest? Do we go somewhere else? What do we do? They've got all the cubes they know the whole, you know, the, the group of them flee. So it wasn't like they got away without being seen. So now there's a, you know, a bunch of gargoyles staring them down. And there's a grung, you know, a, a grung army and a Yuan Ti party. Everybody and they gotta they got to figure out how to get into the tomb and escape all those things. Of course, escaping into the tomb is just escaping, you know, out of the frying pan and into the right. fire. Um so that's basically what happened. It was really, really great. They used some uh, really interesting uh, ways to try to not have to fight things. And uh, it was a really, really fun session. And I'm really sad to see these players go. And I'm even more sad that I have to try to get them through <laughs> nine levels of, of this yeah. tomb. Yeah, how do, how, do you, how do you plan on doing that? You've still got like five minutes, so you well, have plenty of time to talk about it. But Well, here's, you know, the, so the tomb had skeleton key things you know uh and i and i was thinking of of um you know if if they go in and they do the first level or the second level however you know because there's a big sort of area in the middle where they could actually see the balcony of the floors a couple floors down um, a couple levels down they could actually choose to skip right from the first level down two or three levels mm -hmm. based on uh it, if they go into one of the shrines and one of them gets possessed by the by the, one of the nine the, gods, the gods, yeah, the spirits. Yeah, I, I can I can convey a lot of information that way in terms of you know helping here, them avoid. Here, let me show you how to skip everything. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is that's almost cheating, and I and almost what I just want to do is basically. Uh, pick two levels of the of the tomb to run and just run it with two levels and let it have a big climax they'll spend one session on one level uh or maybe two and then they'll spend the, the last session will just be one of the levels and they'll run into all the big bads uh you know they'll they'll find the uh the the soul monger and they'll you know possibly fight a serac and 
you know, that'll that'll be the way it goes. And, you know, since it's the last session ever, they might die and be okay with it, or they might completely prevail and 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 you know, they'll prevail and they'll get out of the tomb and, and be perfectly okay. I don't really know what's gonna happen. It could go either way. But I think that's what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna prep a couple of the lay of the levels and uh and just kind of ignore that there's a bunch of others and use the skeleton keys or the um or the or the possessive nine gods to you know the possession of the gods to try to help them. The thing is that the possession of the nine gods is such an interesting part of the two yeah. that I mm-hmm. I really don't want to cut it out, but I, I think it's really could be used to the best of its of its design if I don't allow them to go through the whole thing so um you know because the way to best do it is let I mean, there's only three pcs at this point let all three get possessed or let two out of the three of them get possessed uh and be able to have some really interesting fun unique role-playing opportunities there get a few extra powers and you know see how that sort of goes but you know really really um uh nurturing that takes a couple of sessions by itself so I just don't think it's possible. I think right. that's unfortunately going to have to be one of the things I cut out. Yeah, and, and so. I think in order to do such a big campaign in such a short amount of time, like you just have to come to accept that there's going to be sacrifices and stuff that, that doesn't get in there, even though it's cool. Yeah, and it's a real shame because, uh, you know, this uh, this might be my favorite published adventure for 5e now. Hmm. Just the more I get into it, the more – even though I'm having to cut out so much um, – that's kind of part of the reason why it might be my favorite. I, I keep saying Mike because I'm still not sure. You know, I think we had this conversation last time too. But uh, I, it might be because it is so sandboxy. And even though it ha- is sandboxy, it has some very specific activities and locations that mm-hmm. the they just work really well together. But they also work well apart from each other. So you know, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really well put together. I think. So, yeah. very good. Well, you still got a, a minute and twenty-one seconds. If you just want to vamp or tell, <laughs> tell us about what you had for well, dinner or whatever. Uh, <laughs> so I was going to mention about what Mike Shea said about gold and his his players getting a bunch of or his PCs getting a bunch of gold mm. and stuff. And you know, I never I never take that away from the players. Mm. And here's why: if you're first level, I mean, I, I know your characters weren't you know your party wasn't first level, but if you're first level and you fall into fifty thousand gold pieces. Congratulations! You didn't just get treasure; you just got responsibility. Right. <laughs> you know, you yeah. you just you just earned yourself an obligation, because uh, nobody in the world the the way that I run the world, uh, you know, especially my homebrew world, but even in the Forgotten Realms, uh, a lower level party getting fifty thousand gold, um, that it is going to be hunted for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's. It, it, you become a target, and you now have a responsibility, and you, you know, you're now uh, tasked with caring for that money, and you right. can't just go flaunt it around. And if you do, there are consequences for right. that. Right. I can very easily see like uh, you know, a group of six level players with that much gold, uh, and it doesn't take too long before word gets out that the Zins show up and say, "Hey, it still looks like you need some protection," you know. <laughs> yeah. Or else. Exactly. Right. You know. Or you just have people try to con you out of your money all the time. Right, right. Uh, well, and that's what's that's what's happening in my game is they're they have to they're spending it like they're they're right. you know, they 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 had to set five thousand gold aside just to pay for the people to build up the port. Well, and you you, know, you and created uh, you created a, a 
interesting sort of dynamic and, and, and a potential problem in all of that too because uh, the the Tomb of Annihilation uh, storyline is not one that lends itself well to like a, a stable base of operations that you have to take care of. You know, right. you, you well, have to go wandering well, into the can. unknown. <laughs> it well, can lend itself to that. <laughs> it just changes the nature of, of right. what their goals become. Right. Well, right, but then the death curse just kills everybody. So, you know, it kind of yeah. can't still, you know. Um, so, there, But well, it creates an interesting tension of how do we do both, you know. Uh, and who do you trust to leave in charge of your of your port and of your manor and of your, you know, like who, who do you really trust? And can that person be bought off? And are you paying them enough? And, you know, are they loyal to you? And are you loyal to them? And like, that's what I mean when I say they've earned responsibility. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, you know, uh, it's anytime the players get something that at first seems really, really great, they'll do something that makes it such a large responsibility for them that, uh, it can become a burden really fast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but I certainly don't like the idea of – I mean I know my instinct is, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This changes the entire nature of the game. i got to find somebody to get this money away from them. And, right. and I also know that like that's a really jerky thing for, that, that I do. Right? So right. like right. I don't right. want to be that DM, but my instinct is to be that DM. Like, oh my gosh, this, this changes the whole thing. I, I want to get back on track, so how do I take this away? But that's cheesy and, and, and kind of cheap. Right. Well, I mean, I I think that in the, you know, it depends on the kind of game you run. I think for a lot of DMs, that is actually a valid, you know, way to run it. I mean, honestly. Well, Um, but if you're going to give it to them just to, like, take it away cheaply, like, yeah, give them that responsibility. Give them the opportunity to save it or whatever, right? I think that's fine. Like, making it clear that that being wealthy all of a sudden but not being very high level comes with – or having an army or whatever, like, comes with a lot of problems. That's fine. But yeah. but my instinct would would immediately be like okay how do I take this away as quickly as possible uh, a dragon shows up and demands you give it to him bye you know <laughs> you know or yeah. whatever like that's that's the instinct I have to fight against and not be that jerk you know I mean I I guess I think there's ways to do that you know but uh, this is why actually old old school games had you know like in basic D and D when you got to name level which was around you know ninth level or so. Uh, you're building strongholds if you're a fighter. You're going to try to, you know, build a temple if you're a cleric. You're going to, you know, you're going to get followers and you're going to have people that that basically live on your property and 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 care for, you know, the area. You know, basically I, for modern listeners, you're basically you become the 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 uh, rulers of a Downton Abbey kind of situation, sure. right? Where the household has to be cared for, you have to have staff. The grounds have to be cared for. You have to have staff. The little town that's connected there has to be cared for. You have to have uh, some rules and some staff there. You have to have people that can farm and create enough food for the townsfolk. I mean, suddenly, you know, being a duke is not uh, just sitting on a throne and, and, you know, benevolently, you know, just not doing anything but collecting taxes. I mean, it's not – it doesn't work like that. Yeah, but but establishing yourself over the course of a couple of years in Chalt as the new Duke of Chalt uh, while the death curse is going on definitely changes. Like, I could see somebody who's established and be like, you know, I'm the crazy adventurer noble or whatever, fine. But but you don't have time to establish yourself at that, at that point because, you know, people are dying right now. Um, Unless it's your strategy that you want all of the former heroes to die. 
I suppose. And you know that they'll never come back, right? And you're going to now usher in a new age of new heroics, and you're going to be one of the top people because you're one of you're going to be one of the sort of noble families of yeah. that. And after a lot of the old guard have died, you know, after after all the old heroes have died, now you go take care of the soulmonger, and yeah. uh, and and now you've basically cleaned. It's a clean slate. Right. Although although that said, that still like fundamentally changes the nature of the adventure <laughs> so which is fine oh yeah are we still talking about the adventure i'm just talking about it. Yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, but, but, but my point was that's just valid that's a valid thing to do right absolutely. I mean, if you're gonna I, you could run a five-year campaign where something absolutely. like that happens. yeah no i agree I'm, my, my point was just it changes so the nature of the story yeah I, of course it does but anything the, any change that you make could possibly change the nature of the story i mean basically the changes I, i've as relatively small compared compared to what we were just talking about right. Even those smaller changes have changed the nature of how of how this played out and how the story went. I mean, that's just how it works, you know. But anyway. I mean, if, if if I wanted to run this, I I could run this over five years and something like that. I could completely see that happening. And at the end of it, it would no longer really be the Forgotten Realms, right? It would be some some new age of whatever the game world is. Well, playing. and that should be the case anytime somebody plays the realms is that should, should quickly diverge and become theirs uh, very quickly. Uh, and that's the true of any uh, setting that you might be playing in. So, yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Large change or small, they end up, you know, changing the, the nature of how that adventure might be. Yep. All right. I'm certain we have probably gone over our time at this point. <laughs> wait, wait. There's one other thing, though. Mike, didn't you say there was something you needed to talk about? Or you I was going to talk about um, my recognition that I have no idea what passive perception and passive insight is. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You want to talk about that? So, yeah, if, if, if you can do it quickly and tell me why I don't actually understand it either, because I'm certain that you uh, and I had the same idea before. Well, I really, it, it, you know, I can't. So, I, I, the, the, the topic came up on Twitter. Uh, I can't remember where it started. I know Teos, Teos Sabadia got involved, and we were saying, um, a, you know, my, my, my general point was I didn't like passive perception, passive insight, because I generally want players rolling dice. You know, I like it when they roll dice, and mm -hmm. that, I felt like if too much reliance on passive perception and passive insight means that the DM is just telling stories the whole time, right? Like, it is an activity of their players. But then it occurred to me, like, I don't, I don't really have any idea how it's supposed to work. Right. Like mm -hmm. I don't many DMs write it down and they have it for their characters and I don't. Right. I don't really know at all. And whenever something like that comes up, I ask them to roll a perception check and um, the players have. So I was like, well, let me go back to the books. Right. Like, let me see what it actually says. And there's actually very little in the books about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, the player's handbook has a like two paragraphs where it just says, like, basically what you know. How, how it works, and, and here are some circumstances. And it's very optional, right? It's sort of like DMs can use this to do X, Y, or Z. Right. You know? DMs can use this to let players know that they notice something. Um, or well, it's, then, it's a way of not tipping off no. the. It's a way of not tipping off the players that hey, there's something to notice. Oh, but you all failed. Yeah, Never mind. Don't you know? The funny thing is, I've I've been going the opposite way, which is like you tell me your perception check and I'll roll. <laughs> you know, and I'll, like, I want to check for traps, and you're like, okay, what's your perception score? And they're like plus seven, and then I'll roll and go like you don't notice any traps, and like oh, you know, and I like that a lot better because they don't know how they rolled, um, and it's still got a random component to it. Um, Jeremy Crawford on. Um, Dragon Talk uh, yeah. talked about, and he uh, mentioned that the passive check essentially means that perception and insight have a lower boundary of, of a 10 floor. plus. Right. So you 
roll low. You you theoretically can't get lower than the passive score. Right. You can improve it, but you're not going to go below. And that didn't seem quite either because then you know why there's this whole range of numbers that are never going to come up. Um, and anyway, I started writing an article about it right before I came on the show. Um, and and my thought is that like perception and insight give you you something's going on, but not necessarily what. And then the the roll gets you more details. So you might notice that the floor tiles are looking a little weird ahead of you. That doesn't mean you realize it's a lightning trap. And it mm -hmm. doesn't mean that if you go poke it with a stick, it's not going to hit you with lightning. Right. Anyway, that's what I kind of learned about it. But it was it's it's in, an interesting thing. How do you guys handle what do you guys do with passive perception and passive well, insight? So, you know, the way I always think about it is uh, if it's something that is, quote, easily visible, then nobody should be rolling anything, right? Yeah. You should never ask for a, a roll when failure – this is this is a, a philo philosophical thing, right? There are mm -hmm. a lot of people who say that you should never ask for a roll unless failure is going to be interesting, which means – uh, if something is easily noticeable, why even make them roll? Just yeah. tell them they notice it. Right. But like Mike just said, that doesn't mean you say, oh, you notice a lightning trap and it's uh, triggered by a floor sure. plate over there 10 feet in front of you to the left. You know, It's that, oh, you notice there's something strange about the floor up there. And that's it. That's what their passive noticing ability gave them. Uh -huh. And if they want to go investigate it, they have to be more detailed about what they're doing. Right. right? Um, and for that for that. Uh, for that reason, that's what passive—that's what the passive score is for, yeah. right? So you'll never get something that would have a DC of five, which would be an easy check. They'll always pass a DC of five. The minimum is going to be ten. Your passive minimum is ten. Right. So if your passive minimum is ten, anything that is in the easy or whatever, moderate or whatever, or routine to easy or whatever they are—I can't remember what they are at this point. Uh, those in less than ten is automatically going to be noticed. It's just not might not be in as much detail as you would want. Sure. Um, but honestly, in practice, I don't use passive perception and, and insight when I'm playing the game because I'm, I'm like Mike. I like my players to roll. Mm. So See, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so I, I do use it sometimes uh, in the way described and, and the way you guys are talking about. You know, you notice something, but you, you know, now if you want to go check it out, let's make some investigate checks or whatever to... to to figure out what it is or what's going on. Um, I'll tell you one of the ways I use it as a bit of a shorthand because you made the, the point that like unless failure is interesting, they shouldn't be making rolls, right? right. Um, so a lot of times like I will go into a situation and I know that somebody's got a high enough perception that somebody's going to notice. And so the perception, the passive perception uh, score ends up for a lot of times for me being a way that I determine who notices stuff first, right? Because that's, I know I want them right. to notice it. It's more interesting to the story. So how do I figure out who notices it? Well, uh, Bob's not here today. So it turns out that, that Jane's score is the, is the highest one at the table tonight. She notices it first, right? And so you get to yeah. tell the party about it, whatever. Um, so, I mean, it comes up that way so for me. Does, and I use it in the way you said. Does what? marching order matter to you? Does marching order matter? Because in that case, then it's the marching order that should matter. Well, right? so so you, you're assuming that that we're in a single file line running right, through right. a dungeon, uh, and that, uh, that's, that's seldom that's, the case. That's, that's situational, right? I mean, right. No, but, it's, but it's, if you're in a that's, you know, yeah. if if you're in a dungeon or a really thick forest, it matters who's in the front. So so yeah, sometimes it'll it'll that'll matter, and and sometimes. Um, Sometimes it won't. It's, you know, sometimes it'll be like, oh, well, you're just behind the front line, so you can see about as easily as they can or whatever, right? 
um, or or we're in a big open space and you notice the the wyverns about to to pounce with the orc riders or what you know whatever it is right um, stuff like that and then it, then you know yeah so I just I use it more as a way of determining who notices things and it's mostly just flavor because hey you you invested in perception so I'm gonna make you feel cool because you did that so. Mm-hmm. So other, otherwise, yeah, the ways you guys are describing it, that's how it comes up for me. I do end up using it a little bit, um, but I almost never do. I almost never do. And, I always call for a roll if I want them to test something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and given the amount of space that it takes up, and then I think you can pretty much omit it, and then nothing goes away. Right. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, now we've definitely gone over our time. Is it okay if I call <laughs> it now? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, this has been a fun episode of Behind the DM Screen. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I am at S-Q-U-A-C-H on Twitter. I am I also run at The Tome Show. That is the official Tome Show Twitter account. Uh, and you can what, email thetomeshow at gmail.com. If you want to find Sam online, he is at DM Samuel on Twitter. And Mike is, of course, at Sly Flourish. You can also find him at slyflourish.com. Anything else that I need to, like... Let people know how to find you? Nope. All right. So that's how people uh, find you. Our, our, RPGmusings.com. RPGmusings.com. Oh, I always forget. You, that's you okay. It got, it, got, it got attacked a couple weeks ago, and it yeah. was down for a couple weeks. I saw that. It's kind of yeah. annoying. You don't, you're, not, uh, you're not as much of a shill as Mike is, so it, it doesn't flow as naturally with your name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Mike. That's Sly Flourish Mike. Like, like I'm... I, I, I meet more people <laughs> online or whatever in the gaming community who are like, oh... I saw this thing from Sly Flourish, and they don't mean your website. They just mean you, the guy. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> but weird. you are now Sly Flourish. You are not my chat. I know. Well, it's a one, yeah, it's a one yeah. man show. There you go. <laughs> that's going to happen. You're right. All right, so there that's you go. Right. Uh, this has been the, what is it now? May episode May. of. Right? Yep. Okay, May, yeah. May episode 2018 of Bind the Demon Stream. Uh, say goodbye, guys. Hey. Bye, guys.